A while back on Twitter, I saw Christina tweeting about the Coming Out Monologues, a production that she brought to her school. On this episode of the Be A Better Ally podcast, Christina explains the context behind that production coming to fruition, as well as other ways that she thinks about schools becoming more LGBTQ plus inclusive. Enjoy. Hi, my name is Christina Pinnell Goetze. I currently work at the Berlin Brandenburg International School in Germany, and I currently teach English language and literature and drama. I am a mother. I'm an educator. I am passionate about social justice, uh, particularly LGBTQ plus issues, and I'm really, really excited and honored to be a part of this podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. Christina, thank you so much for for giving up uh, some of your time. There's so many things that I want to talk to you about on this episode, and I'd love to start um, just by really digging into the theater project that you've led with students. Um, you know, again, the theater can be an amazing space for social justice. So I'm wondering if you would talk to listeners a little bit about kind of the literally the behind the scenes of that, um, how it came to fruition and, and really what it's meant for you uh, and perhaps for your students and school community as well. Absolutely. So the way that this project got started, I was just sitting at home reading the vagina monologues as you do by Eve Ensler. And the vagina monologues is about obviously female empowerment through many different lenses and very many different issues and looking at intersectionality. And as I was reading it, I constantly was thinking about whether or not something like this existed for LGBTQ plus folks. And so a quick Google search showed me that a couple of universities had initially started the coming out monologues and a project along those lines. And as I was doing some further research into what other folks have been doing, I realized that this would be the perfect opportunity to bring something like this to my school community, um, particularly as I have that drama background and it's something that I am very, very passionate about. You know, I'm part of the Gay Straight Alliance at our school that's been running for a very long time and I really feel or I felt like this was something that was needed for the community. And so initially it started as a passion project. I didn't really involve the school that much I reached out to my family and friends and just wanted to know if there was interest in this type of uh, project. And so I asked a few of my friends if they would be willing to write monologues, if they wanted to tell their story and share their story. And I was really inundated with a lot of love and a lot of um, interest. And I received quite a few monologues or just stories and narratives about their own journey with coming out. And I kind of, I initially framed it as, you know, it doesn't have to be a coming out story. It can be about anything. That's just what I'm going to call it, the coming out monologues. And some of my friends wrote about coming out. Some of them didn't. Um, and then, you know, life happened and I kind of paused for a while. And then I realized how important, at one point I realized how important this was. I think it was right after um, our first daughter was born. And I realized, you know, I want my daughter to see, I want our kids to see, um, our family represented, that these issues are really important, that we should be celebrated. And so I got right back on track. And then I really started digging into it at the school in the school community. And I reached out to 
students. I reached out to staff. I put the call out for students and staff to write their own stories. I really created a proposal that allowed students to see different templates of what they could write about as well so that it didn't feel like it was too overwhelming for them. And so, again, I was inundated with a lot of support and, you know, our school community is very, very supportive of the Gay Straight Alliance and issues around LGBTQ plus issues. So there was never any pushback. And over time, uh, I think it must have taken about a year to really collect that collect all those different uh, monologues. And then, you know, I had to edit a few of them down because, you know, a lot of students love to write and they love to um, talk about themselves, which is fantastic. And putting that into some sort of production, some sort of event needed a little bit of editing. Um, And, you know, in between, I kind of spliced different monologues with uh, scenes. So as part of our grade nine and grade 10 um, drama units, We have units, so for example, we have one unit in grade nine, which is called protest art. And students use protest art as a stimulus to then devise a short play. And a lot of students, you know, they they really run with it and they talk about racial issues. They talk about um, uh, ADHD. They talk about mental health. They talk about LGBTQ plus issues. And so I spliced a lot of these short plays in between the monologues so that it was a really robust kind of program. And then once the script was fully developed, I asked for a lot of help from the community. I had so many volunteers, those people that weren't part of the community but wanted to join in and help celebrate LGBTQ plus folks. So it was fantastic. Um, I had lots of volunteers to edit the program, to edit the script so that I didn't have to do it all on my own. Um, I had a lot of people who got involved with merchandising, which is Mm. so wild to me. Um, I had lots of people cater the event for free and they just gave up so much time so that we could also raise funds at this event. Um, And, you know, when we finally got to rehearsing it and, and really delving into it, it just, it was so liberating to be able to have students perform their own monologues and some students who volunteered who were not part of the LGBTQ plus community, but they wanted to share other folks' stories. And that was just, it was so beautiful. And I even had someone from the US who was like a friend of a friend um, travel over to have, um, to watch students perform his mm. monologue. And so it was just, it was such a great event. Um, and, you know, at the end, there, there was such a celebration and so much gratitude at the end of it. Um, but, you know, that there's still so much work to do. And that was kind of part of the piece that I kind of added to the end of the, um, the, the coming out monologues. You know, it started with some sort of group um, effort and then it ended with the group, not monologue, but a group dialogue. And in it, you know, I mentioned how there are still lots of countries that criminalize, homof- um, you know, sexualities and gender identities. And, you know, there's still a lot of work to do. But the night itself was just such a great great event. Gosh, it really, it sounds like it. And I think, you know, for anybody who's not an education or has not been a part of a production like that, it is, you know, there's so much work. Um, You know, it does take so many people to come together and kind of have a, a common vision. And it sounds like for your whole community, it was just such a, you know, really an affirming event. And I'm, I'm wondering, um, you know, how it might be informing plans that you have 
uh, for, for your theater community at school next year? I know sometimes you even have to plan a little bit further out than that, but, um, you know, has, has this sort of planted a few seeds um, for you or for students in terms of what you might want to be doing uh, in years to come? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are so, I'm so fortunate to work with a great colleague who actually just left us. Um, so I'm a little bit devastated about that, but he was such a great supportive mentor and he, you know, said, you know, go for it, just do this. And he's always been fantastic about including texts and um, plays and, and musicals and different sorts of um, productions that are really affirming of various identities. And so we, I have, um, you know, thought about at including something to do with trans folks because that's one of the areas that we are a little bit limited in because we just, you know, it's, it's difficult. Lots of trans folks don't want to come out, especially when they're in school and they're students amongst their community. And so I think that's one of the pieces that I want to, to try and make sure that if there are trans kids in our school or if there are kids that are still grappling with their gender identity and and the gender expression, you know, making sure that that is really visible on the stage. Um, but in terms of the future as well, I think, particularly with the murder of George, George Floyd in the in the last year, um, or in last year, um, I've thought about including the race monologues and using that as a dialogue as well. Uh, but definitely in a few years, I want to come back to the coming out monologues and perhaps redo it now that it's existed and see if there's more stories to tell um, now that it's present and visible in the school. And for educators who are listening and are thinking, wow, I would love to do, you know, I would love to devise something like that with students, have that kind of co-authoring process. Do you have any advice or would you point them to any resources or is there a way for them to reach out to you just to sort of say, I'd love to avoid, you know, making some of the mistakes that now, um, you know, in the process you've, you've sort of learned in terms of like, oh, maybe, you know, think about doing it this way rather than that way. Um, what, what guidance might you offer for folks who are saying, I love that idea. I'd love to do something similar to, to what you've done. Well, the number one thing is just to get started. If you believe that this is really important for your community, which it should be important for every school community, um, you know, just get started ask students what their interests are, ask students whether or not they think that this is something that they would be interested in being a part of, and then just get to work, you know, ask students to write their stories, ask in a very like non-threatening, low stakes kind of way. It doesn't have to lead to anything straight away, but I think the part of just devising, the part of just writing things on paper is really liberating and it just makes you feel so much better about yourself um, and as, as though you've kind of written a part of your story down. You know, I think a lot of us could write books about ourselves in the future and it just, it really takes a lot of time and effort to put that pen to paper. Um, so just get started is one of my main key points. But if you're truly in a position where you can say, you know, like, let's do this, you can absolutely reach out to me. I'm available on Twitter at Christina Pinnell, I think is my Twitter handle. Um, and, you know, I'm absolutely all up for collaborating with, with staff and, and students all around the world. You know, let's get this community going. And especially because, you know, through COVID, we've really realized the, the value of collaborating with other schools virtually. Um, and I think we've kind of 
not really tapped into that in the past. And now that we're really familiar and comfortable with things like Zoom and Google Meets, let's just do it. Let's just communicate virtually and get the students to talk, talk to one another. And, and, you know, staff can talk with one another too. So please reach out to me. Right. And that's sort of a perfect segue into the next thing that I, I wanted to talk about. And you're right. You know, in some ways, the pandemic has sort of been like a little masterclass in collaboration uh, and, and really kind of leveraging some of the resources that are there, not only for ourselves, but for students. And I know, Christina, that you've recent, recently hosted um, an LGBTQ plus affinity group for educators. Uh, and I know that I'll have some listeners who might not be familiar with affinity groups, um, you know, really how, how they work. And I'm wondering if you would just sort of talk a little bit about what that experience offers um, and, and again, you know, how others who are interested maybe in, in starting affinity groups or joining other affinity groups, um, you know, what, what might they expect? Um, and, and really, what's sort of the, the vision behind the one that you were a part of? Yeah, of course. So to begin with, I just want to send a shout out to Emily, Justin, Catherine and Shannon, because they're the group of people that we've I've been collaborating with um, in terms of getting this up and running. So thank you so much to those folks for, for being part of that collaboration process. Um, so affinity groups are really just a safe space for a group of people who share the same identity or a specific identity. And so in this case, it's for LGBTQ plus international school educators around the world. I'm very fortunate myself to live and work in Berlin where it's very accepting. There's lots of different folks all around who express themselves very overtly. Um, and, you know, even at my school, there's quite a few queer folks and queer, queer teachers. And so I'm, I'm fortunate in that aspect, but there are so many international school educators who are queer who live very isolating lives because they're in, in countries where it's still illegal or it's still not recognized or their identities, they as human beings just are not recognized as people, you know, and legally they don't have the same rights as others. And so because of that reason, they have to hide parts of their identity, parts of who they are. And so this affinity group is a great space for international school educators, particularly those who feel very isolated in their environment, to come together to chat in a very non-threatening environment, to connect with other queer educators around the world, and just to, to share their stories. You know, our first meet was really just to, to develop those relationships and to see, you know, what brought us to the space. And I think in the future, we really just want to, so we're currently going to plan to meet every month. And I think it's the last month, uh, the last Monday of every month. And the next one, I believe is July 26th, uh, but I can double check that. Um, but we'd really just want to develop relationships initially. And I think looking forward, we do have plans to offer some sort of workshops in terms of, you know, dealing with our own internalized homophobia and transphobia. Um, sometimes we are our own worst enemies. And so dealing with that can be something that is very liberating again. Um, and I know that some other folks have kind of reached out and said they'd love to, to lead certain workshops as well. Folks that are really knowledgeable about the legalities and, and our rights. And so 
Um, that's sort of what's to come. But I think initially it's really just sharing that space, holding space for one another, listening to one another and providing, you know, comfort and security and that, you know, our existence is really important and our, existent ma our existence matters, um, particularly for those folks that are in you know, isolating experiences. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I'm thinking, uh, you know, again, you're right to to say, you know, like it's it's wonderful to be in a school uh, that's located in a place, you know, that sort of has a context where there's acceptance. But I realize too that sometimes it's, you know, it's it's hiring, um, and it's it's uh, it's it's that issue. You know, my wife and I have been at some really big schools um, with gigantic staff, but still been like, you know, of the maybe three or four. Uh, LGBTQ plus identifying folks. And it's interesting, uh, you know, it's, it's really only been in the last few years where we've had conversations and realized um, an experience I've talked about on, on the show before that my wife and I have had that other queer couples have experienced that. So, you know, it might be new staff orientation and folks are getting to know one another and, you know, realize which teaching couples, you know, who is partnered with whom. Um, and my wife, uh, is only two years younger than me. Um, and, you know, often this thing will happen where like, oh, are you mother, daughter, or are you sister? And wow. it's sort of <laughs> like the very last consider. And I should say, you know, my wife and I look nothing alike, um, but, you know, that will be kind of the go-to. It's sort of, you know, the fact that we might be a married couple or together is like six or seven steps removed. And um, it's funny, it's just only been really talking to others how that's kind of a common experience that it will be, oh, oh, okay. Um, and that's, you know, that's really interesting too, that I think if, if teachers, if fellow educators, if that is so outside of their, you know, like realm of possibilities, you know, when you talk about how heteronormative a school space is, you know, there, that's, that's kind of an issue to unpack, you know, if, if that's so far beyond the realm of what's possible, um, schools have some work to do. So spaces like that are, are wonderful. Um, and I'll be sure to, to link in the show notes uh, to where folks can go to learn more about that group. Yeah, thank you. And I think just adding to that, you know, it's so interesting that you mentioned that because we do live in such a heteronormative society. And um, I've been told multiple times throughout my career, throughout my personal life, that holding space and creating space for queer folks actually is then excluding others. And mm. it's really difficult and challenging to try and, uh, you know, enter into that dialogue where it really isn't exclusionary when everywhere else is exclusionary for, uh, for queer, for queer folks like us. Um, you know, no one else has to come out pretty much every single day. Um, you know, when they're walking down the street or like you say, you know, just meeting new staff every single year, it's, it becomes exhausting and it becomes us as the, the people that have to do the work when actually it's the other folks that need to do the work. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, and I, I know, you know, you, in the work that you do, you have that educator lens, but as you mentioned in your introduction, you're also a parent. So I'm guessing, you know, when you're thinking about school environments and we're thinking about, you know, just the extent to which a school might be incredibly heteronormative or, you know, it might be, you know, just really inclusive, you, you kind of have two different hats that you can wear and be thinking about when you're looking at your school. And I'm, I'm kind of just wondering, you know, in what ways 
becoming a parent and doing the the art and and hard work of parenting has really expanded your thinking on what schools need to be considering when they're thinking about ways to become more LGBTQ plus inclusive. Absolutely. You know, my daughter is about to turn four and our son has just turned eight months old. And um, what I've noticed is that as my daughter has entered the early education um, center, you know, she's one of the youngest kids in the school and there aren't that many conversations about gender identity or sexuality or gender expression or trans folks. And in especially in the younger years, those conversations don't really happen. Um, they happen quite a lot in the secondary school because students, they're very aware and they are the ones that, that, you know, bring those topics up. But in terms of the younger, the younger grades and the younger students, there really is not that much conversation about this. And I always think about GSAs um, in whatever format they, they take place um, because I know that there's lots of different titles for these spaces now. And Gay Straight Alliance is quite um, outdated, I would say. Um, but you know, they exist for the older students, but why don't they exist for the younger students? Um, particularly as my daughter is going through school, I want her to have that space to be able to share her family, share, celebrate her family, um, you know, with others. And I often wonder, like, why aren't these conversations taking place in the primary years? And I think it's because often queer folks are sexualized to the point where that bringing up queer folks is, you know, oh, we're going to talk about sex here and we're going to talk about um, sexuality here, which is not necessarily the case when you bring up queer folks. And why is it that when we teach students about or narratives that center straight folks, that that's okay. And, you know, they have their relationships, their dating, their kissing, but as soon as you want to discuss a narrative that centers queer folks, that's, you know, indoctrination or that's propaganda because it doesn't seem fair at all when, you know, queer folks have lives and they lead lives that are just very um, varied. No, we're not like a monolith. We don't all have the same experience. And so as a parent, I definitely want educators in the in the younger years particularly to know you know please center our stories please center our narratives it doesn't have to be specifically you know oh two moms are a part of this story and it's all about the two moms and the fact that they're two moms it could just be that two moms are part of the family and it's about the kid that is um, going through school I'm quite for we're, we're very fortunate my wife and I that our daughter had a, an amazing um, teacher, educator in her first year at the school, she, who centered identities, who really celebrated our family. You know, they had pictures of us on the walls in their classroom and, you know, they celebrated Pride Month. They had their own Pride Parade and they did um, a whole bunch of activities one week where they really celebrated Pride and discussed different types of family structures. And, you know, that's just one way of doing that. But I think the most important thing is just embedding LGBTQ plus folks in the curriculum, in the content, and making sure that those identities are validated and expressed and visible um, 
yeah, I think that's, I mean, I could talk forever about this. Um, but I, I, yeah, I just want educators to know that queer folks really need to be centered in all the narratives that are out there because um, it's important that we're recognized and they see us as not a monolith and that we're not just, we don't all just share the same experience. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because I, my, my wife is an educator at the primary level and, and I've always worked at the secondary level. And it wasn't really until she was walking me through, you know, most early years programs, there will be a unit on families. And, you know, she was sort of showing me just some of the examples where, as you were saying, it's like, queer folks didn't even exist. Um, and so to have those amp examples and to build them in, uh, I know that something that she shared with me that I find it really fascinating is she's had families who, you know, they do have the, the heterosexual dynamic, but it's been often some of those parents who have reached out and said, you know, thank you so much for having a much more inclusive overview on families, because I want, you know, my child to realize that there are lots of different ways of being a family, um, and, and I find that really interesting too, because I know that sometimes we frame this work as, oh, this is just for the queer kids. This is just for the queer families. And it isn't, it is for everyone. Um, and it's, I think if you are a parent listener to this and you do have that teacher who's doing that work, thank them because, you know, schools don't always make it easy for them to do that. Um, and I think sometimes as a teacher, I know I've wondered, like, do the, does the parent caretaker community notice this? Do they appreciate it? Because sometimes um, you only get the emails or you only get the comments that are sort of saying, please don't do this. Uh, you know, I, I liked it better when you prefer, when you pretended like queer people didn't exist, you know, we get, we get those comments sometimes. So the, the ones that are affirming and are saying, you know, I appreciate this, this is starting great conversations in the home um, that can be really, really powerful. Uh, and, and that was the very first episode, actually, of this podcast was just talking to two educator parents who were sharing, as you said, you know, ways of really integrating it at home when they were doing story time um, and, and simply sometimes just swapping the gender of a character in the story, um, not necessarily having to buy additional books, but working with some of the books that were in the library and saying, you know, I'm going to I'm going to make this character um, you know, their pronouns are going to be they, uh, and I'm just going to switch that up. Um, really kind of an interesting way of thinking about it too. Uh, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for sharing that perspective. Uh, and, and it'll be interesting, as you say, with the, the age gap in your kids to see, you know, by the time your youngest gets to that stage, will it have changed? Will it become sort of the norm for a parent to know, yes, the teacher is going to have this almost as a, a literacy in making sure this is the way that the conversation is in the classroom? Absolutely. And I think one of the important pieces, especially with our daughter and, um, and her journey in her first year was that, you know, her teacher was very open and honest with the parents and email communications. And we really appreciated that, you know, they, she specifically mentioned that we're celebrating pride. We're going to be doing this. These are the books we've read so far so that parents can and families can continue those conversations at home because that's where the real learning happens, not just at school. It also happens in the home. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that partnership can be really powerful. Um, Christine, I'm going to do this weird thing and, and kind of quote you back to yourself. Um, I, I wanted to just sort of ask you a little bit about a statement that you shared on Twitter recently. So you posted, quote, 
Teachers need to realize that their words and actions or inaction in the classroom, in the corridors, and outside the school gates have far-reaching consequences that start so invisible yet have an everlasting impact. Homophobia and transphobia must be addressed. Um, so I'm wondering if you could just sort of speak to an example of of what you mean there or walk us through a hypothetical one. I mean, I'm in complete agreement with you in that statement. Um, but I, I know sometimes, you know, folks might not always be able to understand what we're talking about with with some of those kind of invisible or seemingly invisible actions that that do have big impact. Yes. And I think, you know, my example is one that I'm sure every everyone around the world is going to agree is something that happens far too often. Um, so it's the simplest phrase. It's heard all the time. You know, that's so gay. And often educators do not react to that comment, um, to that phrase that's said in the, in the corridor, in the classroom or outside the school gates. Um, and it's that inaction is that not pulling that conversation in and calling in whoever said that in a negative or derogatory way. Um, and, you know, the fact that educators may not pull that student in to really like talk to them or discuss, you know, why did you use those words, why it's inappropriate, um, that can really have an impact on any you know, kids who are still in the closet, perhaps, or still trying to figure out their identity, when they see students using those words and no one reacting to it and saying, you know, that's unacceptable, it's disrespectful, this is the reasons why, um, then they're kind of internalizing that, that homophobia and they, or that transphobia, and they are going to take that with them through their experience in school, through their, their lives. And they're going to think that, you know, being gay, for example, is a bad thing. And they're not going to then realize how truly amazing, you know, I'm always asked, would you ever wish that you were born straight or that you weren't gay? And honestly, truthfully, no, um, I truly love being gay. Um, but, uh, you know, it's those kids that don't have that experience or that wealth of knowledge or um, who, who walk through life having dealt with all the experiences that I've dealt with already, who really then internalize that and find it difficult to explore themselves, to express themselves, and then they might harm themselves. Um, they might truly walk through life having a diminished ability to be who they are. And it really, you know, when educators don't pull students up on those words, it really gives permission for it to happen again and again and again. And it's just the simplest thing, you know, you know, cut that out, you know, don't talk in that way. Do you realize what you're saying? You know, just saying something is better than not saying anything. And, you know, I, I think it really, what we permit and what we ignore, you're right, that establishes a, a culture that I think it's either we are allowing that to grow ex exponentially, or we're creating, you know, that, I know it's cliche to say it, but that teachable moment. Um, there's a really powerful podcast episode of the NPR show Embedded that's called This Is Not a Joke. And it's all about, you know, just sort of 
really drawing the line between what is like, oh, just joking versus no, that's hate speech or that's kind of, you know, the early seeds of hate, of hate speech. Um, and what I love about that, that episode is that it, it goes through educators um, saying, actually, let's make a plan together of how we're going to address this. And something that I've always found really powerful about doing theater work with students is just the sort of like, let's workshop a scene. And I think there's, you know, there's so much for other subject areas and school leadership to take away from that, because the the anecdote that you share is one that I think every single educator has been in that position of, what do I do? I've overheard this. How do I address it? And I think, you know, I think many people in, in my generation went through school also experiencing it and never really seeing an educator disrupt it or, you know, just raise awareness around it. And I think sometimes if you can be in that position of rehearsal, let's workshop what we can do. Folks actually understand, oh, I have a range of options here. Um, and that actually going through and rehearsing it uh, and just practicing it with a group of peers really can be so empowering because I, I understand that, yeah, the first time you're going to disrupt that, you might have some anxiety around that. Um, you don't necessarily want to make the situation worse. So, it, you know, if schools can do one thing, I really think just figure out a few situations that you want to rehearse as a group and let people practice it. Let them actually rehearse the dialogue and practice saying the words that they would like to, to say um, in order to, to sort of interrupt that and not allow it to just, oh, this is permissible here. Absolutely. And isn't that what schools are there for, you know, to rehearse life in general so that they're prepared, students are prepared when they're adults to go out into the, into the world and, and be people um, who really, yeah, exist and are just fair and, and, you know, accept one another. Yeah. And the reality is, you know, school is the real world for students. I know that sometimes, you know, we use that language of like, we're preparing them to go out in the world and it's like, they are in the world. You know, there's not sort of this, uh, this barrier. So if we're permitting them to use that type of language in school, it's not as though they're going to think like, oh, the real world is different. Um, you know, they will believe and continue to believe that that's the way that we speak about <laughs> human beings in all environments. So that example is really powerful. Um, and I'll be sure to, to link to that episode that I referenced, because I do think um, there's a real danger in underestimating um, or referring to something as like, oh, just jokes, because I've heard that used to sort of mask um, the anecdote that you shared too. Like, oh, I was just, you know, just kidding around. Um, and I, I kind of think we need to, we need to take another look at that and, and ask ourselves, why is it dangerous to label it in that way? Absolutely. Christina, summertime, it's a great time for us to sort of explore texts, media, you know, that we maybe have been hoping to find some space for. And I'm wondering what's been on your summer reading, watching or listening list, um, either that, you know, you, you've already been able to consume. And I know that you've got an eight month old uh, child <laughs> and a four year old child. Um, is there anything that you've, you've made your way through or that you're hoping to get to this summer that just has you thinking about um, inclusion and, and maybe has brought up some other questions that you know you want to think a little bit more about in the in the weeks to come. Yeah, so I'm very fortunate that I have connected with a few other international educators um, over the last year 
and through ALOC, um, the Association for International Educators Leaders of Colour. And we have come together and we've decided that we're going to explore Being the Change by Sarah um, K. Ahmed. And it really explores social comprehension and centering identities and, you know, doing the identity work in very non-threatening ways and low stakes ways so that students have the opportunities to explore their identities and express them when they're ready. And, you know, part of her journey with writing the book is also saying, you know, educators, adults, you need to do the work yourself before you ask your students to do the work. And so we created this professional learning community and we are doing the work. We are doing the activities ourselves as if we were the students so that we can put ourselves in their shoes and know that when it comes time to next academic year and we start implementing these lessons in our advisory programs or in our lessons in the classroom that we have done it ourselves and we can show empathy as well and it's been it's been a truly great experience and I would highly recommend that book for educators um, I've also been listening to wise education the podcast with Dr Sadie Hollins um, I believe it's relatively new and it, she's hosted a number of guests that have also been you know, on your, on your podcast as well. And so it's been um, fantastic just to listen to um, Sadie interview these other folks and, and listening to them center international school um, educators and, and students as well. Uh, Cause I believe that if I recommend your podcast, like obviously the people listening are, are already <laughs> listening to your podcast anyway. Um, and uh, ALOC have also been, um, They've created a summer institute. So if I believe there are two or three other uh, workshops taking place this summer, so you can definitely still register and sign up for them. Um, so I highly suggest that you sign up for ALOC Summer Institute, which is looking at, um, you know, a lot of the racial biases that we hold as well. Those are fantastic. And I'll be sure to include the links to all of them in the show notes. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, because I've been thinking a lot about how in light of Pride Month, uh, you know, last June, now we're in the middle of July, um, it's been really interesting to me to see how, um, you know, some of the the media that's directed at young children has has really just taken some gigantic leaps with trying to have much more inclusive content, um, you know, Blue's Clues had this pride parade, like, it's just really interesting to see okay, they're, they're getting it as storytellers. And then there's some other organizations that should get there, but, you know, are, are sort of, you know, still too afraid to touch the messaging on that. Um, and I'm wondering from your parent perspective, if there's anything, um, you know, any family viewing or listening or reading that you've done this summer too, that you're thinking, um, you know, check this out because I, you know, even though I don't have children, it's, it's really interesting for me to, to look at things that are directed at young at young kids, those can be great resources, even for adult professional learning communities to have a conversation around too. So do you have any sort of uh, recent family favorites that, that you would highlight or, or you would say, um, check this out, uh, you might enjoy this, your children or the young people in your life might enjoy it too? Yeah, so um, I'm trying to think of, of television shows or programs that that our kids watch or at least our daughter watches um and 
Gosh, I'm thinking, you know, we have some work to do in that area. But I know Doc McStuffins is, is a good show. I don't know if that really reaches out to any parents there. Um, uh, and Sesame Street, I think, have been really great in terms of um, opening up the dialogue with, with um, different familial structures. Um, in terms of books, I have one right here that we recently received, which is called What Are Your Words? And it's a book about pronouns. Um, and I highly recommend it because, you know, it really goes into the into the nitty gritty, but in a very, you know, child friendly manner of just, you know, what are pronouns and is it okay if we don't know what our pronouns are yet? And especially for educators who are in the primary years or in early years and any parents that really want to start having these conversations with their kids but have no idea where to start. I think this book is a great book. What are your words? Because, you know, like I said, it just does it in such a child-friendly manner that adults can also fully grasp it, um, especially because I think a lot of adults are still trying to figure out, you know, what is this pronoun nonsense about? It's not nonsense. Um, and it really is about affirming someone's identity. Um, I, I love that you yeah. brought up that book um, because it, I, I think it really does model. I think sometimes people think having that conversation, it has to be so complicated or so difficult. And that book really perfectly illustrates how casual that dialogue can be. And as you say, it really does affirm that idea that identity is fluid. You know, if, if somebody is figuring it out, they're figuring it out and that's okay. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be sure to include the link to that book as well. And one thing that I would point out that I think is really important to do that, you know, we can all do is invite your library to make sure that they have books like that one. Um, you know, we don't always have to spend money and buy the book ourselves, but um, see if your library has it. If they do, check it out. Uh, most libraries now have a review system, so leave a review for it. I think that's a, a great way to just sort of help amplify um, and make sure texts like that one are, are, you know, being passed around that lots of different people are, are talking about it. And, you know, you're, if you're a member of a school community, reach out to your school librarian, see if, if they can make sure that it's stocked. Um, and also think about adding a book like that to your staff PD library. I think, you know, sometimes children's lit texts can make for, as you and I have been saying, just a really, really powerful conversation amongst adult learners too. Yeah. And adults love children's books. I know I have a children's books hoarding problem <laughs> so uh absolutely I have a friend who just who, who loves children's books too and uh, we go on about it um yeah absolutely well thank you so much Christina for those recommendations and for for giving up some of your time um, I'm really interested to see the work that you continue to do going into the school year so listeners um, if you've been inspired to just think about how you might take Christina's idea for the coming out monologues and bring a concept like that to your school, we'll be sure to include her Twitter handle in the show notes so that you can continue uh, to follow along with her journey as well. Thank you so much for giving up some of your time this summer. And I hope the rest of the weeks in Berlin are, are beautiful um, and that you get lots of lots of quiet. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you.